0: Then please open your Bibles with me today to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finishing up 2 Corinthians this morning. As I mentioned earlier, today's message entitled, Examine Yourself. <clears throat> Examine Yourself. This is the end of a long letter written to the church at Corinth. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church that he planted a church that he planted by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and beginning a fellowship of believers in that city, a church that he would stay on and pastor and teach and lead for over a year and a half, a church that he truly loved and cared for and would continue to visit and pray and write. And as we've discovered in this letter coming through it, um, that some in the church had fallen under the influence of those who were purporting themselves to be super apostles. Uh, And they had been impressed by their boasting and their forceful leadership, their oratory skills, their dynamic presentation. And Paul is now writing to try and really win their hearts back. They had begun to examine and compare the Apostle Paul with these dynamic self-promoting individuals, and they were wondering if Paul measured up to the same kind of credibility that these self-promoters were appearing to be. Paul writes very openly, very honestly. We see something really deep within his heart revealed to us in this letter, a little more personal than really any other letter we have in the New Testament. But he's writing to protect the church, not protect himself or his reputation or his image, but rather to protect the church from from the influence of these false apostles that he names, uh, and also to defend and maintain God's true ministry into the heart of the church, the real shepherd, the apostle himself, whom God had called to minister into their hearts for are. A fruitful relationship with the Lord. Chapter 13, Paul concluding his letter now. And he writes to prepare them for his visit. He's planning to come and visit again. And now some closing remarks, his intentions for his visit and instruction for them to prepare. A number number of things we'll notice today. The first of which is a word of warning. A word of warning. Verses 1 through 4. Take a look with me. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. A warning to those who are continuing to live in sin. He says, I've been there now two times. I'm coming again. And I'm writing to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, those that may now be engaged in a conduct and lifestyle of sin. Who is he talking to? Well, in context, if we look back in chapter 12, verse 21, this is a continuation really of the thought he was covering there when he said in verse 21, for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, the fornication and the lewdness which they have practiced. So he's not just talking about those who have sinned, because that would include all the church, all have sinned, and all fall short of God's glory. But he's talking more specifically to a group of those who are living in sin, and he says, have not repented. They've not changed their direction. There's been no real change of heart. They've not acknowledged and confessed their sin. They've not turned away from their sin to change their conduct, to align themselves with the word of God. They have not repented. And it says that they, they, this, these sins that they are engaged in, he says there, which they have practiced. And that word, practiced, is a Greek verb meaning to perform repeatedly or habitually. So this is a warning for those who have sinned and not repented and continue to sin in practice repeatedly and habitually and refuse to change. Paul said, listen, I've been very gentle thus far, even to my detriment. You are now accusing me of being kind of meek and unimpressive. And some of these other bold and very, you know, uh, in-your-face super apostles have really taken you by storm. And now, who's Paul? He's always kind of soft-spoken when he's with us. And Paul said, listen, I've been meek, I've been mild because I've been giving opportunity for you to come around. But now, this third time that I come, if these things are continuing, then you're going to see a boldness. It's not what I want. I don't want to bring this kind of correction, but it is what I will do if I must. Uh, he's been, pre- been very patient to this point. But now it's time to deal with those who are unrepentant. Now, remember, he's not talking to those who have sinned, confessed, and acknowledged their sin, and received forgiveness, but rather these that are unrepentive and continue their practice of sin. And this has become a point of criticism for Paul. He, he doesn't really seem to demonstrate enough authority or strong leadership for them. He seems meek and mild and, and, and doesn't seem to really come in with a firm hand and rebuke. what he's saying, guys, I've been that way on purpose, but now if I come and find these things continuing, you're going to see a strong hand. He reminds them of Christ. He reminds that that when Christ came to the cross, he came in weakness. Jesus himself said, "I, I did not come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. And he came in weakness, and he came in humility, and he offered himself as a sacrifice upon the cross. But he was raised in power. And the scripture tells us that his return, his second coming, will be, in fact, with a heavy hand of judgment and Righteousness, but in initially the appeal of God is that you would come to mercy, that you would come to His love. God is not trying to to beat you into His kingdom and to drive you into relationship with Him. Rather, He invites you. He and He mercifully and graciously calls you. And it's true, even today, that there are many. Many that that want only that strong word of exhortation. This is what was happening in Corinth. They heard these dynamic, you know, strong leaders. And boy, they thought, that's what we need to hear. That's what we need to hear all the time. And they they, they like that emphasis on sin and duty. What you need to stop doing and what you should be doing. And we know that God's word, it is profitable for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Clearly, that is a part of God's Word. It gives us that clear discernment between right and wrong. And we do often need to be reminded of what God calls sin and what God calls right living. But it's not the only message within the Scripture, and it's certainly not the only message of the Gospel. Paul tells us that God's Word is also good for doctrine. And doctrine means teaching. It means enlightening. It means not only talking about what man must do, but it talks also of what God has done. Now, this is the message of the gospel. And this is a healthy balance of both exhortation and edification. You know, I remember when I had uh, my early opportunities in the pulpit. Before I was pastoring here, I just had some opportunities to teach. And as an assisting pastor, there would be opportunities when I would get in the pulpit. And boy, you know, when you because you weren't in the pulpit on a regular basis. So when you got the chance, man, I'm going to tell people what they need to hear. I'm going to straighten this church out. And boy, I'd come with it, you know, guys, we got to stop doing this and you got to stop doing this. And by the way, you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that at a bigger pulpit. It was easier to pound. and, And it was just, you know, I was just came on strong. And, you know, of course, God's word does come on strong and it does confront us. And that is a part of what needs to be declared. But we, as we read this morning for our, our verse today, we need to accurately divide the word of truth. It's not the only message. And in fact, there is a great message of edification, which means to build. And you remember uh, when Jesus came to Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Remember that when he was restoring Peter? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what, what did Jesus tell Peter to do? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then Peter, beat my sheep. <laughs> Drive my sheep. Straighten my sheep out. No, feed. Feed my sheep. Now there are seasons when, when sheep need correction. And sheep do need boundaries. They do need correction. They do, they do, they do need clear direction. But there's also just a a loving and gentle feeding and caring and, and ministering to the needs. And this is what Jesus encouraged Peter. And the gospel, listen, the gospel is not a message of what is due. The gospel is a message of what has been done. And this changes it from every other religion on the planet all other religions are about what man must do to attain relationship with God. What, what's required of man to live up to the spiritual calling of, of God or false gods upon his life. But the gospel come and, comes and says it's not about what man must do. It's a declaration of what God has done. And man's responsibility is merely to receive it, to believe it, and to allow that love and that power of transformation to begin to transform and change us. There are clear instructions of right and wrong, and we do need to hear it. And the Word of God often reminds us, but it's not the only message. We need to teach the Word faithfully, and there needs to be both exhortation and edification. Paul has been accused of being kind of, you know, just not strong enough. But he's saying, look, that was on purpose. But now, for those that are continuing and you know rebelliously living in sin with no thought of repentance, and you've gotten into these habits, guess what? I'll bring the strong word. I'll bring that clear word of exhortation. And so, this is the third time. So Paul is letting them know, listen, this isn't, you know, I'm not just coming right away to do this i'm coming having made several efforts already to give you clear instruction but you've not responded you want proof that christ is speaking in me you want proof that i can be forceful and bring a rebuke and a demonstration of authority that what's really what you need to see guess what this time if i come and you're still in that condition that i've warned you of you're going to see it i'm going to bring that kind of a word but that's not his desire That's not his heart, but yet it is what he will do if need be. And I think it speaks to us of the Lord and his patience and his grace towards us. Aren't you thankful that the Lord is slow to wrath? That the Lord is long-suffering? That his mercies are new every morning? God is a God that is patient, but we must not misinterpret his patience for approval or for acceptance, or for somehow, it's no big deal. Paul would also write in Romans 2 and verse 4, he says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Paul wants to be clear as he writes to the Romans, Listen, God has been merciful. God has been forbearing and long-suffering, but don't misinterpret it. Don't you understand that 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 part of God's character is to give you opportunity to come to repentance? Not some condoning of just keep doing what you want, it's no big deal. Rather, God giving space, giving time, giving invitation for you to come and repent and give your heart to Him. And the Lord is patient, but the Lord also looks for ultimate change and transformation in our lives. You know, is the Lord speaking to you? Is there an area in your own life that God has begun to put his finger on? And you know, it it seems like it's just this gentle prodding, maybe, maybe just this gentle sense of knowing that God is not pleased with this particular area of your life. But, you know, it's not too strong, and it's not too bad, and it's not too, you know, overwhelming. And so we have the capacity to just kind of set that aside and continue on our way. But then the Holy Spirit comes back, and He, and he begins to stir it again, and He begins to put His finger on it again. And, and you'll notice that over time, if we continue to resist that and continue to set that aside, that God has the capacity to turn up the volume, doesn't He? He can all of a sudden bring certain consequences to bear. And all of a sudden, you know, thing, this, this thing that you thought was no big deal is becoming a bigger deal. It's beginning to actually kind of cause great drama and effect in your life. You see, those early warnings, those gentleness, that gentleness of the Holy Spirit is not to be misinterpreted as God's not really concerned about it yet. No, that's the gentleness that's to lead you to repentance. That's the kindness that says, "Let's, guys, let's get this right. Listen, this area in your heart, this area of thought, this area of conduct, the Holy Spirit wanting to fine-tune us, to adjust us, to, uh, to allow us to come back to a place of right relationship with the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I have discovered in my own life that the Holy Spirit always has His finger on Something. <laughs> There's always something that I sense the Lord trying to modify. Because I'm a project. I don't know about you, but I'm a project. And it's been a long haul for the Lord. (laughs) And He's not done. And the clay has been harder to shape at times than others. But God continues to refine and continue to work on me. And as we'll see here in a moment, this is why Paul exhorts us to to self-examine. I welcome that. I want that working of the Lord in my life. That's evidence that I'm His child. That's the real proof to me that He loves me, that He's with me, that He's working in my life on my behalf. We want to cooperate with that. And if the Lord is speaking to you, if the Lord is ministering to you, listen, don't misinterpret the lack of real harshness or consequence or judgment. Don't misinterpret that to be as though God doesn't care about it much. No, respond now and allow the Lord to work in your heart. Lest, as Paul said, I'm coming now a third time. And if, it's not, if, you haven't, if you're still in this condition, there's going to be a more harsh dealing. And it is because He loves us. He wants us to repent. He wants us to receive His mercy. He wants to forgive us. The Lord delights in mercy. He wants to show His goodness and His kindness that it would lead you to repentance, a change of heart and direction, a confession of sin, a receiving of His grace and mercy, and and turning from this conduct that would so easily ensnare us. A word of warning, also a word of instruction. Pick it up with me now here in verse 5. And and herein lies what I think is the heart of the passage. Verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith, Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqual- disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do know evil. Not that we should appear approved. But that you should do what is honorable. Though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth. But for the truth, examine yourselves in the context here, Paul, as you know, he's been defending himself to this church because they have been so carefully examining him. Right? They've been so scrutinizing his motive, his ministry. Comparing him with others and wondering if he's, you know, <clears throat> the guy they should really be following. And Paul, it's almost as if he is saying, you know, look, enough examining me now. <laughs> Maybe it's time for you to examine yourselves. Boy, we're always quick to examine others, aren't we? i heard about you, but uh, on occasion my wife and I have disagreements. I know, it's rare, but it happens. <clears throat> Not that often, really. Not that many times per day does it happen, but it does happen. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes some of these disputes, they get, you know, they get pretty, there's a real wedge between us. and Words are said, and, you know, we're standing our ground. And, you know, oftentimes I'll have to go in and, and pray and seek the Lord. You know, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. So I'll seek the Lord. Oh, Lord, okay, you're right. And I'll come to my wife and I'll say, honey, I've prayed about it. I've sought the Lord on this, and I've decided to forgive you. <laughs> is that the way it is? <laughs> we're so quick to examine others, we're so critical. And so, boy, we have such clarity in the shortcomings of others. And Paul is saying, listen, you need to analyze yourself. You know, Jesus would say, take the log out of your own eye that you might be able to see clearly, to take the speck out of your brother's eye, this critical spirit. You know, this is good medicine for all of us. I really believe that a significant part of the Christian life and journey is a perpetual self-examination. It is a continually bringing ourselves before the Lord and saying, search me and know me. And God, lead me. Lead me in that way that is right, that is good. And it is a constant alignment of our nature, which is carnal, To that which is spiritual, the Lord. A constant gazing upon Christ that we might be made more like Him. And it is an ongoing process. And it doesn't happen as we criticize and look at others and what needs to be adjusted in their life. Let's be honest. How many times have you heard a message and you thought, Oh, I wish so-and-so had been here. He really needed to hear that i hear that often as people exit you know they oh is that message on cd my brother-in-law he really needed that one (laughs) well that's good what about you did you get anything out of today's message so quickly we want to apply what we see in in those scriptures to someone else's life and paul i think is getting to the heart of what's going on here with the corinthian church they've become critical and they've not been really diligent in managing their own heart. Because really Paul is not the problem, is he? The problems that, that are going on in this church, and, and you know, this church is struggling with sin, this church is struggling with division, confusion, they're falling under false teaching and and certain false doctrine. And and Paul is trying to say, Listen, church, I'm not the problem. I'm not your dilemma here. I love you. And God has called me to minister to you. And I've been patient and I've been gentle and I've been godly towards you. We're not your problem. You need to recognize there's something going on in your own heart that's causing you much of this trouble. Paul says, look, we're not disqualified. You're not, just because you don't think our ministry is up to to speed, that doesn't disqualify us. Christ is in us and working through us. And we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. I can't compromise or change or become what you would like me to be. This is what God has called us to do, and we're not the issue. The issue is something going on in your own heart. And Paul is asking them to examine themselves. And rather than question the ministry and credibility of the Apostle, they need to recognize and be sure and certain that Jesus Christ is in you, lest you be disqualified. And that's what's at stake. Do you have Christ? Not do you claim to have Christ. Not do you come and attend and and, profess. Do you have Christ? And this is something worth asking for every heart. Not in a fearful, wondering sort of way, but just in a confirming and certain sort of way. You know, I was watching one of Billy Graham's classics last night. I don't know if any of you saw it. Just happened to be flipping through and caught a little bit of his sermon. And he was ending, I don't even remember, I don't even know what city it was. I kind of caught the tail end of it. But that, that was part of his closing thought was, listen, if you don't know for sure... That you have Christ in your life. When I give you the invitation, you should be running to the front of this stage. He said, I can tell you tonight if I was unsure about where I stood with Christ, I would never, I would not leave this stadium until I knew for sure that I had Jesus Christ in my heart and in my life. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here because some of them were acting as though they weren't even saved. And he's saying, listen, you need to first of all make sure that Christ is in you. And once that is confirmed, once it's established that you truly are a Christian, not a pretender, not just someone professing, but truly have come to a meaningful relationship with Christ, I I think the next examination is not only is Christ in you, but is he transforming you? Yes, I have a relationship with Christ. Yes, I have come to faith in Christ. Then, is He being allowed to transform and change my life? Is the Holy Spirit within you confirming your relationship with with Him? Paul said in Romans that the Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Is that what's coming up out of your heart towards the Lord? Is there this tender, warm, and just loving relationship that's bubbling up in your spirit? That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Are you looking to live a life that is separated from the world and dedicated to Him? The scriptures tell, tell us that friendship with the world is hostility with God. Are you trying to ride the fence? Are you trying to live as much as you can in the world, but also cling to a a relationship with Him? You may have a relationship with Him, but I can tell you, that's a tough fence to balance. And the transforming work of God wants to bring you wholly over into a life separated and dedicated to Him. Is there an inner transformation? Are you seeing real, genuine fruit, evidence of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are those the things that you're seeing more and more of as the fruit is bearing on your limbs because this Holy Spirit is working in your life? This is worth examining ourselves. Where are we? Where am I in this work of God in my life? What about my, my worship life? My prayer life? What is worship to me? Is there a joy? Is there a, an expectation to, to come into the house of God and praise and sing and honor Him? Or do I drag myself in and just... Uh, when are they going to let us sit down? <laughs> you know... What's going on? And take a look. Take, take your pulse spiritually, if you will. And see if there is these fruits. Is there a love for the brethren? Is there a burden for the lost? Because I can tell you, God's burdened for the lost. And if you have this devotion, this relationship with Him, how can it possibly be that He has this... Burning burden for the lost and you have no consideration for the lost these are the things that we should be considering in our own hearts today and examining ourselves and I want to say as I said earlier listen this is I think a very uh, central part of the Christian walk and fellowship it's something that should be going on regularly sometimes it's painful sometimes we don't like it Sometimes we don't, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to find out what's wrong with me. I know there's something wrong, but I don't want to get the diagnosis. But you see, the Lord is not limited in His ability to heal, to change. He's the great physician. He's, you know, medical science has limits, but God has no limits. With Him, nothing is impossible. Come, Lord, search me. Find out, because only You can fix me. But You can, and You will and you desire to. There is remedy for sin. There is hope for the future. There is changing power to give you victory and and fruitful living in the kingdom. Finally, the, the apostle closes here. Pick it up with me, verse 9. Words of encouragement. Words of encouragement. For we are glad when we are weak... And you are strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification, building up, not for destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete, Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Paul wraps it up here with his heart's desire. He says, you know, I'm okay. If you guys want to consider me kind of, you know, weak and unimpressive, I'm all right with that so long as you're strong. So long as the effect of my ministry brings good fruit in your life, I can live with that. And, and, and he was okay with that so long as they were growing. But he said, listen, I, I'm riding now because when I get there, I don't want to have to be sharp. I want to be able to come and enjoy our fellowship and and I want it to be a time of encouragement and building up because the authority that God has given to me is for building, not for destroying. But his prayer here, Finally, brethren, farewell. I like what he says, Become complete. And that word complete means mature. It's almost as if he's saying to this church, Guys, grow up (laughs) that's my desire for you come in to what God has for you you know there were earlier in his writings to this church he said you know I wanted to to give you some solid food but you weren't ready for it you're still acting like children all I can give you is milk and so now in closing remarks in this second letter he says guys become complete become mature come to the full potential that God has for you Come into all that God wants for you. Don't just be this struggling church and struggling Christian, always wrestling in and out of trouble and drama and sin and never really progressing, never really growing and maturing. Take stock, examine yourself, and come to the things that God has for you. And He tells them what they are. What does growing up look like? Well, he says, uh, first of all, he says, be of good comfort. Right there in verse 11, following become complete, he says, be of good comfort. You know, this, this speaks of a certain peace and confidence in your heart concerning your relationship with the Lord. Be of good comfort. This means if there's any sin, come, get it confessed. This means if there's an area of compromise, turn it over to the Lord. You know, I don't want anything between me and the Lord. Because I, I, He sees it all. He knows it all. I, I want to get that dealt with. I want that at the cross. I want the blood of Christ to cover all of that. So that when I am with the Lord, I have this sense of comfort. I have this sense of peace in relationship. Not that I have no trial. Not that I have no worry or anxiety. But in my relationship with God, I'm at peace. I know that He's mine and I'm His. And that brings great comfort, not fear and confusion, but faith and hope and a settled confidence. Be of good comfort. He also says, be of one mind. This speaks to the the horizontal. I think the good comfort speaks to the vertical. The the one mind speaks to the horizontal. Look, be of unity. Walk in love one towards another. Remember, this was a church that had divisions and, and factions. And Paul's saying, guys, come together. Come to a place of unity and walking in love with one another. This is part of being complete. This is part of growing up. Not fighting and bickering and gossiping and pointing fingers and accusing and and judging and and all that we tend to do. And resenting and then being offended and holding unforgiveness. Paul says, be of one mind. Come together under the blood of Christ. Come together at the cross and love one another. And let there be peace. Peace with the Lord. Peace with one another. And in that setting, the God of love and peace will be with you. And I think these are practical things. Listen, you can't have division one with another and anticipate love and peace with God. Remember, Jesus said, listen, if you come to the altar and you know that something is not right with your brother, leave your offering there at the altar. Go make peace with your brother, then come back and present your offering. Jesus giving something of a, of a format for coming to the Lord. Make sure that there is peace in your heart one to another. The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as... We forgive those who trespass against us. Now, living in peace includes one with another, and then the love of uh, the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, he says something here, and uh, that is clearly cultural. He says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." We're not going to be doing that here in church, <laughs> except for husbands and wives. There'll be no greeting with holy kisses. This was a, a cultural thing, you know, not a. Not a sexual thing, obviously. This was just a way of endeared greeting and love one to another. I think this speaks to fellowship. It speaks to, you know, really getting together. Greet one another. That means, you, you know, you're connected in relationship. You have, you have friends that are in the faith with you. You have Christian brothers and sisters. You're not just kind of on your own. And attend a church, but nobody knows you, and you don't know anybody. You're in, you're out. And how do you greet in that that situation? Because you have no relationship, the greetings are really very superficial. Paul is saying, no, greet one another. Let there be real fellowship, not only in your church, but he says, all the saints greet you. We have brothers and sisters outside our walls as well. When you find a Christian in the workplace... In your in your in your school, and wherever you end up fellowshipping, and you find another brother or sister in Christ, oh that should be an instant bond of friendship and, and common ground. And there should be a sense of connection and greeting. And he says finally in verse fourteen, and we'll close today. he he, he expresses grace that would come to us through Jesus. Love that would come to us through the Father and communion with Him through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Lord loves us, church, and the Lord so desires us to be complete. And God has not held any good thing from His children. That doesn't mean there aren't trials, it doesn't mean there aren't challenges. But even in those things, God will meet you. And in truth, you will find some of the greatest truth of God's grace and love and faithfulness through those fires. That's where you really learn that close, intimate fellowship with the Lord. Isn't that true in in other relationships as well? When you go through things with people, boy, that links you. And so it is with the Lord as you walk through things together with Him. He brings you into a place of maturity, into completeness, into growing us up. And that's what he desires, because there is love and peace there. There is joy and fellowship with him, with one another. Everything that God desires for us is to bless. And that is the message of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his very best, he gave it all, that we might have this relationship with him. Oh, that we would respond, that we would examine ourselves, that we would allow God to do what's needful in our lives, to grow and become complete in Him. Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for this wonderful letter that we know was written by a man, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it was You that inspired the writer to to pen these words. And they come to us now, Lord, in such instruction and such encouragement. And, Lord, I pray that they would find their mark in our hearts. I would ask you, God, to help me and to help all of us to be ever open for examination. That we would always be available for you to speak to us, to correct us, to transform us, to alter course, to fine-tune Because, Lord, we all need it. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be really... That that, that would be our main charge as Christians, allowing the Holy Spirit to work on me. And not so much of trying to be the Holy Spirit working on others. But, Lord, rather that my life would become what you desire, and in so doing, you'll, you'll use my life to minister to others because of the work you've done in me. And so I pray this for all of us today as Christians. And Lord, as our heads are bowed and we're closing now in prayer, I also want to give opportunity if you're here today and, and you do not know the Lord in a personal way. I mentioned, you know, that you would be certain that you have Christ. You may be here today and you're not completely sure that you have Jesus Christ in your heart. Have you really come to Him and expressed your faith and received His forgiveness? And in such a way that you know for certain you are His and He is yours. I'd love to pray for you today. If you are here and you do not know the Lord, but He's speaking to you, He's drawing you, God, God loving you and, and speaking by His Spirit, wanting to have that fellowship with you, I want to pray for you if, if that's your heart this morning. Maybe you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him. And we looked at those that that need Jesus. We also looked at those who need to be transformed by Jesus. And you may be one here today. You, You have a relationship with Him, but in honesty and truth today, you're not walking with Him. It's not a relationship that's producing a, a transforming work in your life. You're, you're distant from God. You've you've gone back into yourself and drifted away from the Lord. And it may be that He's calling you back today. And I'd love to pray for you if you need to rededicate or recommit your heart. So if you're here this morning and you want to receive Jesus for the very first time or you need to recommit your life to Him, would you raise your hand where you're seated? And I'll pray for you. Anybody here this morning? Bless you in the back. Up here in the front. Yes, ma'am. You're on my right. On the left as well. God bless you. Any others? Upstairs, okay. Amen. Oh, He loves you. His kindness is to draw you to repentance. Anyone else, you need a change. You need a change of direction. You need to turn to Him. You know it. It's time. He's, he's extending His mercy, His love, His kindness to you right now. Anyone else, just before I pray. Amen. A couple more hands. God bless you. So Lord, I do thank you for these hearts responding to your word today. And I pray that you would meet them with the love and the grace and the mercy that is available through faith in Christ. Lord, we would come and we would say, honestly, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, I've examined my own heart today and I find that I've missed the mark with you. I know I've fallen short. And I know I don't deserve your mercy, but that's why you call it grace. It's a gift. And you have done it for me at the cross of Jesus Christ where he took the penalty for my sin. Forgive me now as I put my faith and trust and confidence in him. And so Lord, may this be the beginning of growing up spiritually. May this be the beginning of making your people complete. These that have responded. May the grace of Jesus and the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit is theirs today, in Jesus' name. Amen.